What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Random Richard Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Zach, and hosting with me is the other host, kind of redundant, Chris. What's up, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, everybody. Hello, Zach. Zach, outstanding to see you again, my great friend. It's great to be back. Um, yeah, awesome. Love doing the podcast as well. Thank you, everyone, for watching us. It's such a great, uh, great experience and journey for us. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 been uh, a couple of weeks since we actually sat down and recorded. Uh, we are, I think, along with many other Trekkies, still kind of dealing with a Picard hangover. I know yeah. we just kind of talked about that uh, earlier, right? That we're kind of have this Picard hangover. We do. I I feel, I really feel like, I mean, it was so lovely to get those episodes week by week. Now I feel like oh, I'm really missing something. I'm missing something. There's like a, a hollowness a void. Right there. Yeah, a void. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, I think many others who are watching this or listening to this would agree um, that Picard looking back, Chris, on that journey that we went through for season three of Picard uh, it, it, it was, it was a, it was a big undertaking, you know, there, we were so ingrained into Picard mm -hmm. that it's like, you're kind of coming out the other side going, Whoa, what did I just experience? What did I just go through? Um, it's yeah, it's, it, it was overwhelming, but in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, we were overwhelmed, I think, with emotion, with with nostalgia of first and foremost, I think. Mm -hmm. um, happiness, joyfulness. Uh, I mean, so many things, even some moments of, of sadness, um, uh, just so many different things. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm still kind of feeling that a little bit. So it's almost like I kind of have this deep down feeling like you would if you stayed up too late one night and then had to get up early the next morning. And you're really kind of taut, tired and groggy and you're like, oh, you know, that's kind of how I feel a little bit with the Picard. Um, I wish I wish we had more. I do. I, I do wish we had more as well. Um, if you can see a little bit of the snout in the camera, sometimes some, some that's that's River if he decides to join join the podcast. But, um, you know, yeah, Picard was such it was an experience, right? Because like you and I like watching TNG, the original TNG to begin with. Um, we bring all of that experience with us when we see Picard. So we're, we're re-experiencing our memories and how we felt um, when we were younger. Plus, we're, we're seeing this whole new thing with Picard kind of unfold in front of us. Um, and and we're, we're, we're understanding and going through all these themes like together. It's, it was such like a transcendent, transcendental -like, like experience going through it. You're right. Like, so much depth we went into and analysis and um, emotion um, and just thought that went through it was like, wow, it was heavy, right? It was a little... <clears throat> that might be the right yeah. word, heavy. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what it is. You just this, this over all the overwhelming emotions and feelings. And, and because we went through it episode by episode and really dove deep into it for the first time on our podcast, we did an episode yeah. by episode review. We hadn't done that before. And I think the response that we got from our viewers and our listeners was just overwhelming. And so I think that's something that we have to look forward to in the future. And we do. If you liked our episode by episode deep dive of Picard and we loved doing it, it was such, mm -hmm. it was so awesome to go on that journey. Had we just watched the first episode and then tried to come back and talk about the whole season, <laughs> that'd have been like a 12 hour episode. We might as well have just done it episode by episode, but yeah, um, we're going to do this again though. We're yeah. doing it for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and we cannot wait to do that and bring it to you. That's going to be a little bit of a different flavor, though, Chris, right? Because that's more episodic, yeah. more toss-style, new adventure every week. There'll be some, you know, 
uh, strands of, of story arc and character development throughout. But in general, we'll be able to really dive in and focus on one specific episode without having to recall the minute details of the first, you know, X number of episodes before that. Yeah, I'm so looking forward that, to that as well. Because like each episode is going to have, I'm sure it's going to have its own like dilemma and morality problems. Um, yep. And its own kind of excitement. So it's going to be lots of fun. I do hope that we probably both want to both see more Gorn. I do hope we yeah. see more oh, Gorn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in the in the trailer that they have released so far, oh. there is like a half a second clip of somebody, and I have to go back and freeze frame it. It might be Leon with a, a Gorn right in their face. Oh, no. Nice. So we know we're going to get the Gorn again. I think that's going to be as long as this show keeps getting made, which they did renew it for a third season which is awesome. Nice. Um, as long as they keep making it, I think we're going to keep getting the Gorn as a recurring bad guy, kind of like the Klingons. And they bring the Klingons back too, the way we're meant to see them, not the way they look okay. in Discovery, not the way they look in Toss, like the one, the way we're used to seeing them in, in Enterprise and uh, DS9 and TNG and Voyager and all that stuff. So it okay. should be great. Um, but yeah, we're really looking forward to doing that. I know you and I, Chris, really both loved season one of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And I know... A lot of you out there did as well, so we can't wait to bring that episode-by-episode episode review for you coming very soon as the first episode, I believe, is out June 15th, I want to say. It's like mid-June, I think. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. about a month, a little over a month away from uh, the premiere of, of season two, and the fact they're getting season three is even better, so we have that to look forward to probably sometime next year. Um, but that being said, we are now going to jump back back a little bit um into our look it's been a while since we did our first uh show overview or show discussion of star trek voyager and we're gonna jump back into the delta quadrant here <laughs> yeah and do, and do part two of our uh, of our look at voyager as we do seasons three through five for those of you watching or listening we thank you so much for tuning in or watching us on youtube uh, if you have watched our show before, you will know that we have gone through each season of our podcast doing each Star Trek series, uh, just an overview and talking about our, some of our favorite episodes. And we do a new, a different show each season. So season five of our podcast will feature the, the show Star Trek Enterprise. And we can't wait to bring you some fantastic guests for that. And so season four, we're doing Star Trek Voyager. We did part one of Star Trek Voyager. It seems like way back seems, 12 yeah. years ago now at this point, <laughs> um, but it, it was a while back and you can yeah. catch that uh, most that episode of uh, Voyager part one down below on YouTube and one of our, our previous videos, or you can go back and find it on any of your favorite podcast platforms. If this is your first time, to the Random Redshirt podcast. We welcome you and thank you to those of you in 30 plus countries around the world listening and or watching us on YouTube. We very much appreciate that. And uh, we're a couple of nerdy guys who love talking about all things uh, science fiction, uh, talk a lot about Star Trek, Star Wars, and everything in between. Um, and we, we do very much appreciate you and your support. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button and the bell button for notifications if you're watching us on YouTube. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, you can follow us there. Or if you want to see the video version of this, you can go on YouTube and watch it. Now, understand if this is your first time or maybe you have listened to us before audio only, uh, not all of our episodes on YouTube are, are video or not all the episodes we've done in the past are on YouTube. Only right. the ones we've been doing with video, which has been the past, I think, four to five months 
Um, a lot of our episodes initially were audio only. So just be aware of that. If you are watching us on YouTube, you can go back to your favorite podcast platform and listen to all the episodes we've done. And there's been some fantastic ones, a lot of great stuff, a lot of awesome celebrity guest interviews uh, waiting for you to listen to. So with that being said, the business out of the way, uh, Chris, we should do something we haven't done in a while. And that's a little need to know. A little, yeah, need to know. Yeah, that's right. Card was so jam packed. We just didn't have time to squeeze it in. So let's let's do it, Chris. What's the first thing our audience needs to know (laughs) this week as of May 6th? You know what I saw? I think it was a week or a couple weeks ago. It was the new Flash trailer, and I loved it. I shared that with you. And I, I think yeah. when I when I first saw it, I was not expecting to see so much Batman in it. And our favorite Batman, Michael right. Keaton Batman. And when when you hear his voiceover, I was like, yes. You hear his. I loved his voiceover. And then when he uh, there there was that, and and then he said a phrase that I loved. He said, are you it was something like you want to get nuts or are you ready to get nuts? Yeah, yeah. I loved I loved that. So um, that was like it was, un, you know, it was completely unexpected for me. Um, I didn't really have much desire to see the new Flash movie coming out. I know it's been there's been some controversy around Flash. But when I saw that and I saw that much Batman, Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck, um, and I know I, I like been, I, I'm fine with the Ben Affleck Batman, but I was like, oh, this looks great. And, and I'm just thinking, I hope in this Flash movie, there is as much Batman as we see in the trailer. Because I thought that was awesome. What was what'd you think? Yeah. Uh, the, so, okay. So in general, DC has really, I think, struggled to hit the mark with their movies. Yeah. Their shows, however have been amazing. You've had Arrow, you've had Flash, you've had Supergirl, you've had Gotham, uh, you've had uh, the Legends of Tomorrow. Um, my gosh, there's so many uh, shows they've had. And they've a lot of them have been really, really good. That whole, they call it like the Arrowverse and stuff like that and the multiverse and things. Yeah. Um, a lot of crossover event with those, those shows have been really fantastic. In fact, Arrow and Gotham are two of my favorite um superhero type shows ever they've just been so good um but their movies have been really hit or miss really hit or miss most of them have been misses so i'm a little bit um skeptical and i'm trying to reserve my emotions having seen keaton in this uh because of the dc movie now that being said i hope it's fantastic um we haven't seen Keaton on screen as Batman since Batman Returns, which was like, what, mm-hmm. 1991, 92, something like that. Yeah. The other thing I'm curious is, as I hope that Keaton's Batman is not the same Batman we saw in those two movies. He's older now. He's he's he, I hope to see change. Right. The character should be different. The, the Bruce Wayne slash Batman in this Flash movie from Keaton should be different than what we got in those two movies. So. That's kind of my thoughts on it. I, I am I am very excited though. Keaton is my Batman. I know people say, oh, could you say Christian Bale's the best Batman? Well, he's he's fantastic. I mean, other other than the laryngitis, you know, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Keaton's my Batman. He's your Batman too. I know that. Yeah. So um I, I got very, very giddy the more I saw him on screen, the more I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of us, a lot of us guys who grew up with Keaton and gals who grew up with Keaton who are gonna go watch the Flash movie because he's in it as Batman. I mean, that's, let's be honest. No one's going to see 
the guy as Flash, Ezra Bridger or whatever the guy's name is. Not that's not his name. Ezra Ezra Miller. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. Something like the, that. Yeah. The guy, yeah. yeah, he got he got in a bunch of trouble, legal trouble, uh out in his personal life, and that's what caused all the controversy. But anyway, so yeah, I, I'm yeah. very, very excited for, for this movie and I can't wait to see it. Mike and Michael Keaton looked good. I have to say oh, he yeah. looked really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge I'm a huge Keaton fan. And it's not just Batman. He's done a lot of fantastic roles. Uh he's just I mean, he, I know he's he's a bit quirky in real life from what I've been told, but um he's a hell of an actor yeah he can do so many characters he's so good at comedy very underrated comedic comedian in that regard like doing comedy so nice nice yeah the, what's our next need to know our next need to know has one of your favorite one of your favorite characters yeah absolutely yeah. so uh yesterday on revenge of the fifth aka <laughs> may 5th uh guardians of the galaxy came out volume three and this is a movie that's been in the making for i think a couple of years now I'm really excited to go see that eventually. I love the Guardians movies. They have the best soundtracks of any of the Marvel movies, I think. Um, And it's got got Chris Pratt in it. How can you not love Chris (laughs) Pratt? Dude's just, I mean, he's a rock star. And uh, Star-Lord is is definitely, him and Iron Man are probably my two favorite Marvel characters. So uh, very easy to want to go see this. A lot of, I mean, it's it's such a huge cast, right? I mean, you've got Dave Bautista as Drax. You've got... Um, Bradley Cooper does the voice of Rocket. You obviously have Chris Pratt. You have um, your your girl Karen Gillian from Doctor Who. That's right. Oh, she was one of Matt, she was one of the uh, the the uh, companions for Matt Smith, Amy Pond, right? Um, and you have uh, um, uh, Zoe Sedania as uh, Gamora. Um, I mean, it's it, you know Vin Diesel is the voice of Groot, which I know he only says the same thing over and over again. I am Groot, but. Um, yeah, it's it. They're great movies. The the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special was, it wasn't the greatest, but it was still fun, entertaining. Um, so yeah, okay, Chris, what's the last thing our audience needs to know this week as of May sixth, two thousand and twenty three? Last thing for our need to know is in the form of our comic book graphic novel. So I just, I read, I finished reading the graphic novel, DC graphic novel called Supergirl: World of Tomorrow. That is a graphic novel by Tom King. And I'd heard excellent things about it. Um, and I did read it and finished it recently. And I can say it is excellent. And I really, really liked it. It is a different take on Supergirl. I really recommend it, um, especially if, well, if you, if you know and you like Tom King, definitely watch it. If you know nothing about Supergirl, excuse me, don't, don't watch it, read it. Um, definitely, <laughs> definitely read it. Um, but just a little short synopsis and like why I loved it is, so Supergirl acts as a mentor. For a young girl that has experienced like a great tragedy, her this young girl lost her father. Her father was murdered. But in this kind of exploration, they see all types of different evil kind of in the galaxy, mm. um, and you get this really kind of interesting look at at Supergirl. Um, and the end of it is just fantastic. So mm. I don't want to spoil it. But I want to say it's outstanding. Is it an alternate? reality alternate universe supergirl or is it in the normal her normal timeline normal timeline normal okay because because yeah. the, the name supergirl world of tomorrow makes me kind of feel like it would be an alternate alternate reality or something that's a good question i don't know where the title uh how that title was derived so i gotta look, yeah. look into that more they did it not really tie into the story at all like it didn't there's no connection man maybe that like totally went over my head 
but yeah, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see that like tied tied into the story. Um, gotcha. Kind of, kind of be- this beautiful story about Supergirl not only being like a, a mentor and guiding this young young girl, but exploration of like evil in the galaxy, and at the end of it, this this realization that all through that they had hope. So it was mm. evil, but in the midst of evil, there's hope. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right. Well, Chris, let's jump into the Delta Quadrant again. Delta Quadrant. Let's, <laughs> let's jump back to Star Trek Voyager. Uh, we had a great time doing our Star Trek Picard. I want to thank Jenny Johnson again for being on with us during those episodes. A lot of fun. She brought a great perspective. She she brought some insight and some some detail in some of those episodes that you and I just straight up missed. Oh, yeah. And so that was wonderful. Yeah. Her knowledge and uh, she educated us on the Borg because we were lost. I was like, the Borg in the Borg history. I don't know. Not the first yeah. time I've been lost, but anyways. <laughs> yeah, it was... yeah, it was great. It was great. So, all right, Delta Quadrant, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, if you go back and if you're watching or listening to this, feel free to go back and look at our part one discussion on the Star Trek Voyager uh, series uh, as we kind of give an overview of the show. And again, this this isn't anything like it's new content. If you're watching this, you probably have seen Star Trek Voyager before. Mm-hmm. Um but this is just kind of our view and our, our thoughts on the series as a whole, the different seasons, some of our favorite episodes. Um, and maybe there are certain ones that you might agree with or ones that we missed. You're like, how could you not talk about this one? Because that was my favorite. Well, we're not going to talk about every episode. We're not doing a deep dive. This is more of a skimming the wave tops, if you will. So that being said, Chris, let's start with season three. Uh, give me some episodes for you that either were your favorite or that you really enjoyed or that really stood out to you for any number of reasons. Yeah. Oh, in season three, one of my favorites is the the two-parter. And so the two-parters, it's really interesting. Like Voyager throughout the seasons has a whole bunch of two-parters. So that's what I really ex- appreciate about the uniqueness of Voyagers. It's, it's kind of like you've got all these mini, mini Voyager movies throughout the Voyager uh, series. So that that's cool. Mm. Futures end part one and two. Um, yeah. I thought I thought it was cool, right? So so the beginning, you've got this ship that comes in and you find out it's like a a time a time ship. Um, and they end up going back into um and I think it was the nineties of Earth. Uh what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um to kind of deal deal with uh, the problems they've got in that episode. So so I know that uh yeah, they go down. I think it was L.A. I think it was yeah. L.A. And you've got the <clears throat> you've got kind of a, a CEO that has used some technology from the future to to make his fortunes and become kind of a, a tech fortune CEO. And um, so I thought it was neat because you've got Tom Paris um, down there in L.A. And um, so is Captain Janeway. So is is Tuvok. The doctor makes it down as, as well and creates some shenanigans and some hijinks down there as well so i really i really appreciate it It was kind of neat you know they're back on earth like a new environment for them and um you know tom paris is uh he's a history aficionado so he knows all of these things about kind of that time period around earth but he kind of gets it wrong because um, he kind of gets the years wrong on some of the stuff. Yeah, I think I, I think specifically yeah. he he was I think he was really drawn to the 20th century, right? Yeah, like 1900 to 2000, that kind of range. Because he mentions stuff 
in previous episodes from like the thirties and forties. And he's a big fan, you know, Captain Proton, right? I mean, that's yeah. a black and white holographic novel or series or whatever. Right. I think that's supposed to be kind of like 1940s, 1950s esque. So yeah. the, the 20th century is kind of his forte, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And it was just fun. I thought that episode was like a lot of fun and, and seeing how they have to get out of that dilemma of, of, you know, being, back there in time and trying to save the future too um this one we meet like uh, I, I forget the name of the young lady that's the character but she's an astrophysicist or an astronomer that works at the the uh la planetarium yeah. might be getting it wrong but but that was she provided a romantic interest for for tom paris so it was great i really that one felt um it was easy to watch for me. You know, it didn't feel like it was too heavy. Like the themes were not too, like too heavy. So I, I like that. You can just en enjoy it um, and relax a bit. So that was one of my favorites from, from season three, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that episode you brought up, Chris, because yeah. I, I believe in the beginning of that episode, part one, you see, uh, I can't remember the guy's first name, Starling, I think is his last name. And he's, yeah. He's like the when the ship the futuristic ship crash lands in the woods. He's like this like dude out in the woods, a hippie or something. I don't even know. What yeah, yeah. And well, he's out there, and that's how he comes across this technology. And he, if that hadn't happened, I don't. He probably wouldn't have made it to where he was, right? He wouldn't yeah. be this. I think Chrono Works Industries was the name of the the company that was his that he was using to take this future technology and invent new things and just become this super rich guy. That's right. Um, I think the name of the actor was it's like Ed Ed Bagley or something like Ed Bagley or something like that. He's he's been in quite a few things. Very good actor. Um and I would agree with you. It's a very fun episode. It's just it's an adventure kind of one, right? Like yeah. one of those classic Star Trek adventure episodes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're like fun. It, that was a great way to put it. An adventure. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take a break from the really heavy ones, you know, that are yeah. really uh, uh taken emotional, you know, that are heavy emotionally. Good. And I think they've done a good job of that throughout the different series, right? You get the yeah. the the fun, you like in TNG, right? You get things like the the holodeck episodes with Robin Hood, and you yeah. know, I must protest, Captain. I am not a merry man. Yeah, <laughs> just fun things like that. Um, and and this is, I think, kind of certainly one of those um fun episodes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, um, I want to get you, get your opinion, but one of the ones that I know that are in in our new notes from from season three that might be a little bit more heavy is the the one with harry and tom called the shoot mm. no yeah that one's a bit more heavy right that's that yeah kind of gets so um but that was a not noticeable one from season three um is that the one where they were they were detained somewhere right on a in a prison or co close to that yeah i don't remember if they explain why they were detained or what they were found guilty of. I, they may have, but it's been a while since I've watched it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they were detained. They were found guilty. They were put into this, this prison. And I guess there was some neural implant or whatever that event that, that slowly drives the inmates mad. And you have all these, yeah. these, these inmates packed into this fairly small area. And um, they're, they're, they're jockeying and fighting over areas in which to sleep and then the food comes down 
this shoot like the name yeah and they have to kind of fight over it to who gets who gets food first or who gets the food at all and um they start you know it, it's it's a very it's a dark episode in the sense it's dealing a lot with like okay you know prison life life or death survival um and to a certain extent some mental health stuff a little bit in that that i can remember uh yeah it's it's a, it's a bit of a heavy episode for sure yeah and and that the one I want to, I'm not certain about this, but I want to say that after this episode, Harry's and Tom's relationship maybe gets closer. Um, and then I know that one of them is injured. I want to say like either Tom is injured. I think it was, I think, Tom. I think Harry, I thought Harry was injured. Oh, Harry was injured. And then, and then Tom had to like nurse him back. Maybe I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head. You're yeah, right. Something one of, like one that. of them is injured. Yeah. 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 I, I felt, um, that one was hard for me to watch. I think I've actually seen it like a couple times, mm-hmm. but uh, like the the first time I saw it, I don't think I was able to finish it. Actually, I was like, okay, this is a little bit um, just hard for me to. For some reason, it was hard for me to watch, and I I felt kind of I felt claustrophobic a little bit when I was watching it too, mm. for for some reason. But um, yeah, that one was pretty intense for. For Harry and Tom's relationship, but you know what? You were right. I just looked up. Uh, uh, Tom is the one that's injured. Tom is the one because there's another yeah. there's another prisoner that tells Harry that he should kill Paris because he's a drain on resources, yeah. and even offers him a knife to kill him. So there's there there's a lot to unpack in this episode. Yeah, yeah, there is. You know, and I just I just thought of like of a reason why it made me uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable because I I felt like there was not a sense of hope in it. So mm-hmm. like they're right they're they're just in this predicament. It just felt so hopeless. And I think that's why it was hard for me to, to watch. Yeah. 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 That's a good episode. Um, I, I actually, th- there was an episode that I enjoyed. It's a little bit of a lighter episode mm-hmm. um, called false prophets. And this is where we <laughs> see some very familiar alpha quadrant aliens in this. And in fact, if you remember, Chris, uh, this episode actually explains, and by the of course, if you guys have seen the episode, you know it's the Ferengi. But what's cool is, is the tieback to the next generation in this, because they use this episode to explain what happens to the, what happened to those two Ferengi that went through that wormhole in the episode, the TNG episode called The Price. And they go through and the wormhole closes behind them and you never see them again. And then we ah. find out these are the two Ferengi. They went through that wormhole and they've been stuck in the Delta Quadrant and they've been basically milking these these uh, inhabitants of this planet that they've, they've, they've come across because they don't have the technology. They're very easily fooled. And they've tricked them into thinking they're gods and all this stuff because they have all this technology that makes them look magical and everything. And it's a fun episode. Uh, very, very Ferengi-esque. Right, the Ferengis are 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 all about the latinum and the money and and the 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 treasures, and they have this. Yeah, it's very good. Um, the, yeah, until the Voyager crew exposes them. <laughs> and those the Voyager crew. Yeah, they yeah. just ruined it for those Ferengis. I know yeah. what a party poopers. Man. I know, I know. Um, yeah, those guys, those Ferengis made it made a nice made a nice kind of sweet deal for themselves on that planet. I remember that. That was funny. Yeah, they they um. They had uh, they had a little bit of a monopoly going there. There was nobody else getting that treasure, right? They kind of yeah. own that that area. So, but that that was a fun one. I thought that was another, you know, I mean, any anytime you have the Ferengi involved in Star Trek anymore, it's very uh, it's it's usually pretty fun. There were there were some 
there's some um you know pretty pretty heavy episodes with with the Ferengi and DS9. Yeah. Uh but in general a lot of the the, the Ferengi episodes are fun, a lot of lightheartedness and this was certainly one of those. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Definitely fun yeah. to watch this. So so we have one of our our favorite I don't know if we'd call him a villain uh but sometimes sometimes he's definitely an antagonist. We have Q Q making his way into Voyager as well, which I think is awesome because I think it's cool to have have Q. And that that one his first episode that he makes an appearance is like the Q the Q in the gray. Yeah, was that right? his first appearance in in Voyager? Um I thought it I thought it was, but I couldn't remember. You know, I can't really remember either. Maybe some of our viewers. This is can, becoming yeah. a problem here, Chris. There's a common theme. I, I can't remember. I would. I can't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. you know. Yeah. Well, you know, we're two professionals. We've got. There's so much we got to remember. So like, we we're nothing remember. if not authentic, are we not? <laughs> was this the one that? It, <laughs> so, someone's gonna correct us, but but I can't remember if this was the first one or or if the first one where he's asking Captain Janeway to be like the the mother of his the mother of his child. Yeah, uh, that's that's or a is this, really good question. Or is it this um, one? Yeah, I, I don't remember off the top of my head to be honest with yeah. you. I know I know there's an episode in 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 Voyager where he shows up. Yeah, because there's another Q known as Quinn who's trying to seek asylum and then he wants to commit suicide, right? And um, oh yeah, I don't oh. remember if that one came first or not. Uh, yeah. But regardless, regardless, yeah. I mean that's that's kind of semantics at this point. The fact of the matter is, it's another Q episode. Yeah, and when we talk about like, yeah, we think Janeway would probably be a good mother for Q's child for sure. Yeah, I don't know because uh, <laughs> Jay, I don't think Janeway would put up with Q's crap. You know, you look yeah. at the three captains that Q messed with, right? Picard, Cisco, and Janeway. Yeah, and of all those three. I feel like Picard gave Q the longest leash. Cisco, it only took him one time. He punched Q in the punched face, him. and then and that was it. You know, the, <laughs> the 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 running gag that you know how how Q harasses Picard and all Cisco does punch him in the face. Well, well, Janeway doesn't really have much patience for him either. I think she'd heard about him yeah. because of Picard and things like that. So um, she didn't have much patience for him. No, no. But yeah, but he does show up in a few few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I will say, Chris, uh, as as we're looking at season three here, mm-hmm. I think um, the beginning uh, or the end of season three and the beginning of season four, the t- another two-part episode called Scorpion is maybe the most pivotal episode of the series and yeah. here's why so this show happens part one of scorpion happens and we lose a member of the crew she she evolves or changes to a higher state or something i don't know i wasn't a fan of it but yeah. uh we lose kess and i think a lot of people like kess quite a bit i i, I was always a, a fan of kess because i thought she was a a very sweet character she brought a lot to the crew um, this idea of Ocampa's not living very long. So at two years old, she's going through this change to have, have kids or have to decide if she's going to have kids or not. Uh, which I think we talked about that, um, mm-hmm. in our first part of Voyager that we looked at part one. 
Um, I think it, that episode was in season two, maybe. Anyways, um, but but in this episode, Scorpion, not only do we lose her, but now we gain a character into uh, Star Trek Voyager that not only becomes a pivotal main character and something that shapes many future episodes and brings back a, a very familiar villain, and that is Seven of Nine. Yeah, absolutely. Who shows up as a Borg drone because she's not who we know her to be. But then, of course, we also know this carries on to Star Trek Picard, right? Because without Seven, that changes the whole dynamic in many ways of Star Trek Picard throughout all three seasons. Um, and so we're introduced to Seven of Nine, tertiary adjunct to Unimatrix Zero One. And because of the introduction of Seven of Nine, it also brings with it an absolutely frightening foe of the Borg. Yep. If you remember species 8472 this these beings that live did they call it in like fluidic space fluid or yep. yeah fluidic, fluidic space, space. Yep. and the borg are scared to death of these things yeah and these things their ships their technology they rip through borg cubes like tissue paper yeah i mean they are they are incredibly dangerous and i believe harry kim is even injured by us by one he gets like cut by one or hit by one and just his whole body starts i think shutting down or they just 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 dis destroying him basically um and so that's a i don't know what are your thoughts on the scorpion part one and two did you do you feel kind of the same way i do do you have different thoughts about the 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 absolute importance now looking back after having watched all of picard seasons one through three mm -hmm. the importance of what scorpion part one and two does as far as the introduction into the star trek universe i feel very similarly to you yeah yep uh, scorpion one and two its effect on the entire Star Trek universe, definitely introducing Seven um, and introducing Seven being a former drone and kind of that that perspective kind of changes everything. Well, initially she is a drone, right? She is a drone, yes. yes. They, they bring her on board yeah. Voyager to help fight against Species 8472 and she's still a drone while she's on the, on the ship initially. So Yep, exactly. That was very interesting. Yeah, and, and we get to see be, because she is a drone and then came out of that right we get to see um so much kind of borg uh unwrapping of borg history and borg technology and and all the borgness that that come comes with it um but also also seven provided this counterpoint uh to janeway so um because i had read in and actually in this star trek voyager a celebration book like they they wanted to bring in a character to contrast Janeway just like Spock would contrast Kirk. So yeah, or, or Data would contrast Picard. So Janeway needed that, and so so in that they found Seven, like a character to contrast Janeway and um, and Janeway also to act like as a you know a mother a kind of mother figure to to Seven as well, and 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 so that you know that that carried on. To the rest of the seasons um including some some dynamics where because because later you know you know we know we know seven is unique um and we know that seven is also important to the borg queen um so you kind of get to see this this triangular setup where where seven's unique but you have the borg queen wanting seven but you also have Janeway wanting seven and do everything that she can to take seven too. 
um and some some neat things i think about i'm sorry to go on about all of this about about janeway and seven but some kind of neat things and no it's important it's yeah. important yeah in in janeway's relationship with seven is when seven is um i mean she's she's borg and she identifies as borg and is rejecting humanity at first when when <clears throat> when she's first realizes you know she's separated from the collective and and part of voyager she is she is rejecting humanity um and wants to stay with with the board but it's really it's really interesting because um janeway is you know at that point she's not she does not allow seven to make independent decisions <clears throat> so i yeah. thought i thought okay that's interesting because she she goes she goes well seven is not um seven is not mature enough as a human to make those independent decisions so i will make them for her for now <clears throat> so i thought i thought that was a really interesting take um I, I i like that janeway said that a lot um, but it sure does set seven's presence sure does set up a lot of really really interesting back and forths between Janeway and Seven, and again, I I feel I had read in this book that uh, you know some of the writers felt that Janeway is kind of the mother figure, and I felt yeah when I watch when I watch Voyager now I could I could kind of I could kind of see that re really well. So um, def definitely Scorpion one and two I think transformed a lot of Star Trek, but also those the villains the species I'm gonna get the name wrong species eight four seven two did I get yeah. that right? You They're awesome, it. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're awesome, like as a as a uh, another villain, and uh, you know we learn later that the Borg actually tried to invade their space, um, and then I think Species Eight Four Seven Two. Uh, we have some more future episodes with them to kind of explore their their background, because um, I think Species Eight Four Seven Two they have ideas where they want to infiltrate the, the Federation or or Voyager or or something like that. And, and then we've got the space station where they're there's some sort of training simulation where they're where, where they're like um they're being Starfleet crew. But I thought uh they're a great villain to have another another species into this race. And I would be very curious, like I think they'd be cool to bring back um in whatever future Star Trek series we might have where it's appropriate to bring them back, because there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of history that they could go there. I still don't know what fluidic space is. I'm not sure any of us do. <laughs> no, nobody knows. I will say I like yeah. this. I, I saw this comment that Brandon Braga made. Yeah. Um, he's he's a, a writer. Uh, and then he was also kind of the, sh the showrunner, I believe, um, on Star Trek Enterprise. And he said about Scorpion, the two-parter, he said he was happy with the two-parter, citing it uh, in 2003. That was among his favorites from the entire uh, entirety of Voyager. Um, that's pretty interesting. Or uh, um, I'm sorry. No, he said he said Scorpion. I read the wrong quote. Sorry, Scorpion was definitely. This is Brennan Braga saying this for me a defining moment in the series. That was when Seven of Nine came in. That was our first huge two-parter. We pulled out all the stops. By the way, their series finale, series premiere. So there, there people had to wait. Right, they had to wait in between that back in the day. Um a two-parter with actually a satisfying ending. And to me, that was a turning point creatively. The show started to come into its own. 
So I yeah. think you see Scorpion the end of season three going into season four, and it begins to define the series. And actually, they didn't know this back then, but it kind of started to de- it's it's begun to define new series, right? New Star Trek shows in this case, Picard, because without Seven of Nine, Picard is a very very different show. Yeah, very different show. Um, and so Scorpion, uh, part one and part two. Uh, in my opinion, is is two two part episode is some of the most influential um, episodes from the whole series and in in the franchise too. So it is to Voyager, uh, Scorpion Part One and Part Two is to Voyager uh, what to TNG was for um, the ba- I'm going to get the name the episode name wrong, but the Battle of Wolf Four Three Nine. Oh three uh, Wolf Three Five Nine Three Five Nine. Gosh, yeah. A lot of numbers were thrown on eight, four, seven, uh, two, three, five, nine. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's how my mind works. Like when I say like seven of mom's nine, seven of mom's. That's how my mind works. I get the uh, yeah. I get those words jumbled. No, uh, it happens. It happens. Yeah. yeah no, I, I think you're. I think you're right there. Um, yeah. This is this is a pivotal moment because you see the Federation for the first time ever making a temporary alliance with the Borg mm-hmm. because by doing that. It helps them get through Borg space, right? The Borg agree to let them go through their space if they help them against species eight four seven two and 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 uh, seven of nine becomes kind of this um, not an ambassador but almost a representative of the Borg collective on Voyager before they, you know, pull pull her plug and and disengage her from the Borg. Yeah. Um, and so that it's a turning moment because I believe in part two is where they start to, they start to they eventually at the end of it, I think, or towards the end, they pull the plug and then she starts to become an individual and things like that. So it's a defining moment for a character, for a series and for a franchise going forward, I think. Yeah. Um, but that leads us into season four, right? Is season four has some really fantastic episodes. And I think, I think Scorpion part one and two really does give Voyager its legs. Yeah. Um, you kind of, you kind of mentioned it with the battle wolf three, five, nine. Um, I think the best of both worlds, part one and two is what gives the legs to TNG. And then TNG just explodes after that. I think the same thing here with Voyager. I yeah. think that's, this is, this is a common denominator. Uh, 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 I think uh, DS9 even has that to some extent, although I wouldn't necessarily consider it, you know, season premiere, season finale, but well, kind of, um, but it's not a, it's not a two-parter, but the episode, the dominion or sorry, the gem Hadar, which is the season finale of season two introduces the gem Hadar and the dominion, which becomes the big story arc for the entire series leads to the war. And that's a massive changing event in that series so just like ds9 had kind of one d tng had one with best of both worlds this i think has one with scorpion part one and two yeah um but season four chris what what are some things what are some episodes that stand out to you i i i I know a couple but i but there are a few in season four i think that are pretty pretty uh influential and substantial yeah it's gonna be an definitely gonna be the other two-parter for me in season four it's gonna be the year of hell part one and two that one was that still like sticks in my memory so that the year of hell part one and two you could extract that like and it could be it almost could be its own like voyager movie right? yeah. you don't you don't have to know anything about 
any of the other seasons of Voyager. It's just that you take that that two parter, and I thought was, um, I thought it was an incredible two parter. I mean, not only you have it was very very original. Not only you have these introduced these new, I guess you could call them villains or antagonists. The the Krennin, if I get the name the name right, Krennin, Krennin, yeah, the Krennin Imperium, yeah, Krennin Imperium, and and you have, um. The leader of the the time ship, you know, uh, where he's using that time ship to as a weapon to like eliminate species like completely, so he can change the timeline to not only make the Krennin um, thrive because he wants to um, have the Krennin be really strong in that particular quadrant, but he's also trying to restore. You, you find out tragically that he lost his family when he first used that weapon, so he's spending the last like two hundred years. Uh, in his time ship, trying to gain gain them back by doing all of these other uh, time time manipulations and destroying or eliminating these different species through through time, but but we see the Voyager get caught up in this and then caught up in a conflict and then in a conflict with um, the Krennin, right? I think they and, and yeah, and their technology is pr- pretty vastly superior to voyager ship yeah they yeah. have some potent weapons they do they do so and for- oh by the way they can use the timeline to wipe voyager out yeah it's a giant right. it's a giant time bomb in a sense this this ship what they can do with it yeah yeah absolutely and you know and they have and she's going they're going through a year of all of this adversity right with with, with the credit and you just see them they are pummeled and pummeled and pummeled and um the ship is just totally battered and their uh, morale is battered um, and they they lose they lose people but what i like about it are the the very kind of the close and the intimate moments of of these episodes that the year of hell part one and two you see um there's a few of these you see tuvok tuvok's injured and through it and he's blind and you see these very kind of intimate moments where seven of nine is trying to take care of of tuvok mm-hmm. um, and tend to him um and you know and tu- tuvok is very much feeling like hey i can take care of myself but but what i like about that is you see the concern on seven nine's face and she says hey i told you i could help you um you know do with your personal grooming because there's this like special moment where you know tuvok cuts himself shaving and you see the expression on on her face and she's helping him dress and she's helping him walk um so i thought that was very neat you see these um the stress build up so much and i thought was great like there's this there's this moment with chakotay and captain janeway where chakotay says hey it's your birthday happy birthday and he gives her this he wants to give her this really really nice like a pocket watch that that he replicated and and you see janeway his reaction like is like Oh, it's my birthday, and like, and why did you make that watch? You know, you're using your resources to make that watch. But what we see from Janeway that I thought was great was you see this, um, all this stress kind of come on on Janeway, and I I felt like this kind of deterioration, like like of Janeway. And we see this really really interesting side, like 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 of Janeway because she is really stubborn like really relentless and then really 
um, she feels when she makes up her mind, this is interesting about Janeway, when she makes up her mind, no one can change her usually from, from her decision. And so she might be willing to take the ship because uh, I think Chico, you know, Chicote tries to give her all these different options or different point of view, and and she just doesn't she doesn't take it. So she's willing to go and take everyone at, at great risk um, when she's met, you know, kind of she's set her mind in in some places. So for me, that was interesting that we saw this. I I felt like a mental deterioration of Janeway, you know, because she's almost been traumatically like a, a affected. And there's this interesting scene with the doctor where he's pointing this out to her. And he says, hey, I'm relieving you of command. And he relieves her of command. And she just looks at, she goes, well, who's going to enforce what you just did? No one's going to enforce it. And <laughs> it's kind of take... where you see, yeah, it's kind of where you see Janeway go, yeah, we're in the Delta Quadrant. What's going to, who's going to stop me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's, she's finally kind of settling into this idea where it's like, it can't all be by the book anymore ah yeah that's a good interesting because we talked about yeah. that right yeah, we, we talked about voyager and in, in our part one look about how in the very beginning those first couple seasons she is so bent on doing everything by the starfleet regulations by Starfleet, by the books by starfleet and yet you have a lot of people or part of the crew that were former maquis and they're like whoa hang on a second yeah. Even some of the Starfleet people were like, well, we're like 70,000 light years from home. Why do we have to do it all that way? There's no one out here to help us. We got to do whatever we can to get home and survive. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the the overall like story arc of Voyager is is surviving. Is Janeway doing everything she can to get her and her crew home? Yeah. So I think that's a good point you brought up because I think it's finally starting to kick in now with her. Yeah, she's got a lot on her mind, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Because she her her decision in season one with um, what was the what was the name of the pilot again? Um, caretaker. Caretaker. Thank you. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was her decision in caretaker to say, OK, um, I know this is the way home, but we're going to just des- we're going to destroy this. The ship, you know, that would, that would take us home. So she makes that decision. Um, and then in and then your help part one and two, I think there's a scene. I've seen this episode kind of recently, so forgive me because I'm going, kind of going into specifics. But there's a scene where they're the the Voyager is kind of resting in a nebula, and they're kind of recapping like, hey, how long is it going to take to repair this system and that system? And you know, they're talking about it and saying, hey, we we're in a nebula, um, and we can hide here and we're hidden. And Janeway's like, nope, we're going to leave them in nebula. I don't want to, you know, she can't, she just doesn't want to. We're going to leave it. And you see the expression on, um. Alana's face and other people's faces are like, why is the captain doing this? You know, they're like, yeah, no. no. So interesting thing. That was interesting with Janeway, I, I thought. So, and at, at the very, very end, um, it is Janeway, uh, you know, she orders everyone to leave, leave the Voyager to those other ships that they make an alliance with. But it is, it is Janeway by herself, like on, on Voyager. Um, and yeah, she's, you know, she's the one that runs into the time ship and kind of saves the, the time continuum there she so she does that but it's kind of interesting because in the end she is alone and and she's the last one on on voyager and you know she meets the end of that version of janeway like right there but that is uh 
man, Janeway is quite, you know, she's quite strong-willed. You have to. Oh yeah, give that she really yeah. is. I, yeah. I, she has to be right yeah. to run that ship in that situation. She has to be. Yeah. I think. Um, oh yeah, it's such a good episode. Such a good two-part episode. So so good. Yeah. And I, I think about this episode like this, Chris. Okay, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a connection here. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you what the connection is yeah. first, and I'll explain it real quick. There's I, I th- this episode. Mm-hmm. I could tie back to a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hear me out. If those of you watching, hear me out. There is a Jean-Claude Van Damme sci-fi movie that Chris and I really enjoy called Time Cop. And in that movie, he is a time cop, right? He goes, jumps through time, trying to find people who are messing with the timeline and things like that because time travel has become a thing and they've got to enforce it and police it. And uh, they're not supposed to go back and change things. Uh, but he ends up having to go back to a time. Now, his wife is murdered. His pregnant wife is murdered early on in the movie. And then it's many years later, and he has to go back to a time when his wife is alive. And he does everything he can to save her in that in that particular uh, time period. In this episode of Voyager, the, the, the this captain or whatever of the Krenim Imperium ship is is doing kind of the same thing. Right, it different way, but kind of the same thing. I didn't bet you, people didn't think I could tie Jean Claude Van Damme to Star Trek, but I did. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, if you think about it, put yourself in the shoes of this guy, this Krenim, you know, leader, and and your family has been killed, and you have the technology, albeit you don't know exactly how to make it happen. But you have a technology to go through many, many iterations to figure it out and make it happen so your family comes back. Would you do that? Would you go to whatever means necessary to do that, including wiping out entire civilizations? Or would you say, you know what? I can't, I can't do that. It's a, it's a, a huge moral dilemma because you could sit back and go, oh, well, I would never kill off entire species and planets and things like that and wipe civilizations out of existence to bring my family back. It's easy to say that when you're watching a TV show, but imagine being in those shoes, right? Would you do everything you possibly could to bring your your, your family back? I think most people might actually would probably say yes, they would, right? Um, so there's a there's one of those moral dilemmas we talk about with Star Trek, right? Put yourself in those shoes of that Krenim Imperium leader and say to yourself, well, would I would I do the same thing this guy's doing, or or is this guy committing genocide? And he's gone too far. I don't know. That's a question you have to answer when you watch that episode. But yeah, it, it's a great, great two-part episode. I think it's definitely worth taking a few extra minutes to talk about. Um, it, yeah. It's certainly, when you talk to people who are really, really big Voyager fans, or even people who like Voyager, but it's not their favorite series, a lot of them reference this two-part episode, Year of Hell, as one of their favorites. Maybe we should do this. I was just thinking about this a little bit. Maybe we should do a deep dive on this episode because, like, a spotlight. Yeah, a spotlight. Um, because you got me thinking a lot. So, Krennan, okay, that that I, for, I forgot his name, but the but the Krennan antagonist, the leader, right, right yeah, there, the leader, right? So it's really interesting because, um, he would do anything to bring his family back, but it was his actions, actually, his actions that caused the demise of his family because it was his, it was the the first use of the weapon of the time ship that caused them to be eliminated from eliminated from the timeline. And, and he is, it's interesting because 
there's a lot of things I like about how they describe time um, in this episode. Um, he has this beautiful line that he says, um, there's something like time has moods, time feels, time breathes, hmm. and time's alive. There's something like that, but I thought that, that's really beautiful. I wanted to remember it. And he also has this sense and the way the actor played it brilliantly, I think, this sense and this feel of detachment because he's making these decisions every day. He's going, let's do our calculations. Okay, let's eliminate this species from the timeline. He's completely detached. He's not emotional. He's just making yeah. these very late, you know, very cold blooded. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where emotionless. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like this, it's kind of interesting because he's in this place right, right now where he's essentially a god or yeah. god, right? Making these decisions on what exists and what doesn't exist. I'd love to do a, like a deep dive on this one. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this, Chris. Okay, so if you're watching us on YouTube right now or you're listening to us on a podcast platform, reach out to us. Let us know. We, we've been talking about doing like a deep dive, like a spotlight series on, on different episodes of Star Trek that have really stood out to us across all the different series, right? And this could certainly be one of those for Voyager, I think. Absolutely, Chris. So uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a comment below and give us your top five favorite Star Trek episodes across any of the series that you would love for us to do one of our deep dives like we did Star Trek Picard. And we'd be happy to take a look at that and compile that and figure out which ones, uh, you know, make the most sense for us. If you're listening to us, um, you can also email us, uh, the random red shirt podcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us that way and send us a, a list of maybe your top five Star Trek episodes that you would love for us to do a Star Trek Picard style deep dive on. We'll take a look at those and see what, uh, what comes out. So yeah, reach out to us and let us know. But I think you're a hell part one and two, Chris would be a fantastic spotlight episode to do a deep yeah. dive on. Absolutely. All right. That being said. Let's take a look at a couple other things from season yeah. four. There, there's so many. And of course, if you're watching or listening to us and we don't talk about your favorite episode <laughs> from each season, that's okay. We're doing, we're skimming the wave tops here. We're just talking about a few from each season that stand out to us. Otherwise we'd be here for 12 hours. <laughs> uh, so I like the episode message in a bottle. Mm. And the reason I liked it is because it kind of go, goes back to this idea of Voyager having so many different episodes where they think they have a way to get home, and oh, nope, just kidding. It oh. failed. So Message in a Bottle is different because in this episode, Seven of Nine, actually, again, another reason why she's such a critical character of this series moving forward, she discovers an abandoned subspace relay network, and it apparently has the ability to send a message to the Alpha Quadrant. Voyager figures out a way to send the Doctor himself over to a Starfleet ship that they have gotten in touch with in the Alpha Quadrant, and uh, it's it's very interesting, this whole kind of interplay of sending him over there and him communicating and everything like that. It was a bit of a, an interesting episode. And they're trying to figure out what was their way they can get home, and then it just doesn't work out. Um, so that, that's an interesting, interesting one of those things because we see a very similar type episode earlier in the series uh, with the Romulan, you know, that they communicate yeah. with through the wormhole, and they find out he's actually was in the past, and that led to nowhere, uh, my, the micro wormhole, whatever it was. Um. I also liked Hunters and Prey. They're two different episodes, but I think they're back-to-back. -back. And we get more Herosian. 
Yeah. Uh, you talk about some very intimidating alien race that is introduced in Voyager, another unique one. And I remember we talked about this in part one, Chris, about some of our favorite alien species that Voyager introduces into the Star Trek canon in, in, the, in the Star Trek timeline. We get species 8472. They're not introduced, but we get a lot more of the Borg. We get the Herosian. We get the Ocampa. We get uh, uh, the Talaxians, those types of things. Herosian's on that list. And the Herosian are the this this species that is all about hunting and and finding prey, and it's all about the thrill of the hunt, yeah. and the the uh, the reward of capturing the prey. And it's it's not even it's not even so much of whether or not they get the prey. It's the whole it's the journey, right? It's a process of of hunting down whatever it is that they're searching for, and and the uh, the challenge that goes across uh, about this hunting. And they're they're big, they're powerful. They're menacing in a certain regard. Um, so I, I don't know what you thought of the Herosian. I, I really, really liked uh, this species as an introduction in this show. Yeah, the Herosian are great. And you're right. They are menacing. They're big. The hunt, the idea of hunting is completely in their culture. And there's a lot of um, crossover into the idea of predator, right? And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. like that. And so they they are doing it. It's completely part of their culture. And that's that's what they do as a species. And we get set up like late later in some of these erosion episodes where we have this, this great setup on the holodeck where they're in world world war two. And yeah. right. I don't, I don't remember quite what season that is, but that was real. I think it was a two parter again, another great Voyager two parter, but, but we see um, uh, the erosion have kind of captured the crew and they're sending them into all of these world war two scenarios. And, and we get to see, seven and the captain um and tom and chakotay uh, in these completely different scenarios that are really really fun to watch this this world war ii scenario so hats off and a great job to the creative team that that made that happen that was neat uh but with with the erosion what was also neat though and what would be good to explore was you had at least for the erosion leaders uh you you had one i think he was a second in, second in command that you know, loved the, the hunt um, and wanted to just keep expanding the holodicks so they, they could have more hunt. But you did have one of the Herosian leaders that kind of recognized that, hey, this, this, this way that we're living as a culture um, isn't sustainable and we need to look for kind of other things if we want to move on as a culture. Because otherwise, culturally, you know, as a species, if we keep doing this, we're kind of you know, we're going to die. We're going to die yeah. out. So I thought like one, they're, they're very one dimensional. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. So, so I, I was, I thought that I, I thought the erosion, should they be in the alpha quadrant would be a great contrast with the Klingons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. I'll tell you what, the erosion yeah. are so good at what they do. I'd have a hard time saying that, oh, yeah, hands down, I'd pick the Klingons to win in a battle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. you look at some of the species that are in the Delta Quadrant, and, and I'm sorry. I, I don't, I don't. you know, people are going to have their opinions, and I've got mine, right? It's like they're like belly buttons. Everyone has one. In uh, my opinion, there's, a, there's several species we meet in Voyager in the Delta Quadrant that would wipe the floor with so many of the, the major powerhouse species in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, they. I just feel like they would. I mean, we don't get those battles. We don't really know, 
but I mean, there are some, there's some not so friendly, just no holds bar type species that refuse to bend to anything. And they wouldn't take too kindly to the, the games, the Romulans play or the over the top thirst for battle that the Klingons had. They'd be like, Oh, you guys are just, you know, you're all, all, uh, all bark and no bite compared to them, you know? So I'd have a hard time picking, you know, a lot of the alpha quadrant species uh, over some of the ones that we're meeting here in the Delta quadrant. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's neat about the Delta quadrant is this complete like open slate that they had to create all of these species. Right. And so, um, and they did get real, I think they did get really creative and, um, with a lot of the stuff just you know like the erosion like like uh species 8472 if i got that number right. you got it right. yep. oh, on yes. the dot on the dot chris you got it yeah <laughs> i think awesome. it's i think it's great i mean hats off to the to creative team on voyager uh for coming up with so many unique aliens that there mm-hmm. were some that were really good and but and they, they were very similar to other alien species we've met in star trek voyager or in in star trek in, in general but there were a lot of really good ones that uh were unique and really important i think um to establishing that quadrant i mean think about this if species 8472 just showed up in the alpha quadrant they'd wreak havoc i mean they would decimate the alpha quadrant if they can rip board cubes in and half like tissue paper they're they have they're gonna have no problem with the federation ships no problem with the klingons or the romulans or the ferengi or or any species the Vulcans. I mean, they, you know what I mean? It just doesn't yeah. matter. So uh, really, really powerful species um, throughout the Delta Quadrant. Uh, okay. Yeah. What else in season four stands out to you? You know, the one that was, um, I, I think it was Harry and um, and Tom that went down to the demon planet. And I thought they all went down. I thought they landed they down go? there. I think they all landed on the demon planet. Oh, maybe they did. Because that ties to another episode in season five, and then they reference being on the demon planet, and it affects the whole crew. Isn't so I think it? yeah. it's yeah, I think it's the I think it's the whole crew that goes down, or at okay. least the ship, anyways. But yeah, whole okay, whole ship that goes down. But aren't they like like my memory's a little off? But aren't they like duplicated? Something like that, duplicated by some yeah. alien species it, on that planet. An, it, yeah, yeah. It, that that shows up in an episode of season five. Yeah, gotcha. I think that episode was called. Um, uh course oblivion i believe is the name of that oh one. gotcha so that one was kind of freaky as i remember yeah. it yeah. yeah uh so i thought that that was a good that was a good one uh it was completely original not seen something like that before so so that was a freaky that one stood out to me um another one stood out i think that probably stood out to both of us was uh, the omega directive mm-hmm. yeah that was neat i don't know how you felt but it was kind of a mystery at first right so it was Janeway's reaction was so they discover this molecule or they discover something a phenomenon right and then Janeway goes into top secret mode what's going on that's down right shuts down yeah complete top secret mode and and then you um then you realize oh it's this omega particle and there's this whole secret uh starfleet protocol if they come into contact or discover this part this this particle so that that was neat i don't know that we had ever heard anything about that 
directive or that protocol or Omega before this episode. I don't quite recall. Well, we, why would we? It's top secret. Top we don't secret, have right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I, I do like at the end where, uh, so um, Seven, Seven is a big part of this episode. And you kind of realize that that is part of what the Borg um, aspired to understand that that molecule yeah. and kind of, um, you know, they were seeking perfection and to them, that particular molecule like represented perfection. So I thought that was that was neat. What I liked about that episode was the kind of the top secretness that yeah. Jane Janeway did. I don't know if you felt similarly, but that that was that was cool. Yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah. It was very yeah. interesting. Um it, very big change to to Janeway's character, by the way, like you said, she, she just mm -hmm. kind of changes into this like, you know, mode, right? Where she gets into, uh, did they say something? And I can't remember, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm misremembering because this tends to happen a lot. <laughs> um, where does Janeway mention something in this episode about with the Omega directive and maybe it's for like cap something to involve with captains knowing about this or something. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, it was like, something like I only, only the captains know about it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that just seems to be ringing in my head for some reason. Uh, but yeah, that was, it was definitely a good episode um, for sure. There, there's a lot of good episodes in season four we could go on, but let's move to season five yeah. as, as we, as we, we head towards the tail end of this episode of this episode of, of the random retro podcast. So season five, had some really good ones. I'd like to start out with this one, Chris. This was a season premiere of season five, and this one's a little bit creepy, a little spooky, a little unsettling. Mm. Uh, Voyager enters a vast, and I mean a really vast region of space with no stars and no systems of any kind. And the crew is trying to find ways to pass time during this desolate part of space. And Janeway starts becoming very bitter as she's reflecting upon, you know, kind of what have I got our crew into here, right? Uh, this this decision to strand us in the Delta Quadrant because she, I believe in, in the pilot, she had the choice, right, with the caretaker to get, to be able to take her crew back, but it involved doing something that was against her, 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 her beliefs, her morals, her values. Um, and so uh, this, this is unsettling because every time they look out the window, it's just complete pitch black nothingness. It's a void. It's com it's like the, the word says completely devoid of anything. No light, no stars that they're used to seeing. I mean, it's it, it, it would be like living your life underneath a blackout curtain with a little flashlight and you can't see anything around you. And they're in this for, I believe in the episode, they're, they're going on months and months through this void because they can't go around it. It's too vast with no stars, no space, nothing. I mean, it's a, it's, it's an unsettling episode a little bit. I don't know how you felt when you watched this, but this is a very interesting way to begin a season. Yeah. You said it really, really well. The interesting thing about this this episode in the void, and you're right, they're going through nothingness, and that experience of going through nothingness, where there is no external stimuli, there's nothing yeah. for them to see out, out outside. Nothing. They them, can't go explore. Right? They can't go land on a planet. Nothing. Right. Nothing. So, so with that, because there's nothing external to them, then it becomes, and it has to become all an introspective internal look that they do, you know, almost involuntarily, but that right. they're, they're forced into doing that. Yep. 
and that is what Janeway, you know, Janeway is affected by it most in this episode, right? So, and it's natural because she's she's the leader, and there's no, nothing nothing external, nothing for her to do that she feels as a captain, right there. Then it becomes all internal for her, and she's going, "Who am I? What decisions have I made? The decisions what?" What decisions have I made that have affected the crew that are in my responsible care? And that um, becomes unhealthy for her. Very unhealthy. And she recludes, completely recludes from, from the crew because um, she can't face the crew. And she, I think to me, she, to me, how I interpret it, she can't face her decision. Right. So, but part of coming out of that is coming to peace with her decision and kind of integrating that and facing, you know, facing, facing that decision because she's focusing all on the, <clears throat> all on the negative parts of the decision, right? Negative parts of the decision being, Hey, they're this, they're so far away from home. I caused this, but she can't see some of the positive parts of the decision where, oh, well, hey, I've, I've integrated this, this Maquis crew with, with, with this Federation crew, and we've, we've kind of made this family, and we've, we've been discovering the Delta Quadrant, and we've, we've, got, we've got all this. Um, so I think that was a very, very interesting thing about Janeway, because she's, she's, Janeway's a scientist. I don't think she was ever a, you know, she's a captain, but I don't think she was ever a captain like a, like a, a tactical a tactical or a wartime captain for the federation right she yeah and um yeah scientist scientist so so i thought that was an like interesting thing about janeway and you see like her act i think it's really interesting seeing her react in these really stressful moments so so the void you know it's it's stressful because you don't have any external stimuli now it just becomes all like in your mind um, and then the year of hell part one and one and two, you're just under, under this relentless attack and drink and dealing with all of these traumatic stuff. And then, and you see the stress like affect her, um, differently in, in, in that one. So the void I thought was just an interesting to me, I thought just an interesting take on captain Janeway, um, like on, on, on how she responds, um, like, like as a person and how she's responding to stress and how is she going to get get out of that and what is this you know what is this journey this journey coming home actually mean for for captain janeway because throughout the whole journey like she's transforming like you said before right like she's she's transforming from hey got all these starfleet protocols and you want to follow follow starfleet protocols while we're out here um to transforming to like not always following starfleet protocols at all um so yeah yeah interesting yeah, it was a very, very interesting way to start a season out. Yeah, uh, I, I actually like it. It's a, it's an unsettling episode, but I think you you made a good point there with this idea of introspective. You can't look out now; you have to look. So you have to look in. Very good point you made there, Chris. Yeah. Uh, okay, what 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 uh, what's an episode that in season five that that hits home for you? Dark Frontier is that the one? I I think it, um, that is the one with Seven of Bombs Nine. Seven of nine, seven, <laughs> seven nine, that's where we get some uh backstory with, with i think so it's a great borg episode yeah great borg episode great great uh two-parter so i thought it was cool i think they they run into a borg probe at the beginning 
Um, and Janeway has this idea where she wants to get a transwarp coil from from the Borg, and that comes into to trying to do that. Um, and then you have through this, like you have Seven exploring her past with her parents and her childhood, and then the Queen Borg reconnecting with Seven. And I, th- yep. I thought I thought that was great because at the end of I think the first part, or Seven says, "Hey, I'm going to go back to the Borg," um, and then you've got, you know, Jane. You know, you feel that Seven is rejecting Janeway, and then the next next episode is about them going back and trying to get get Seven back. So that that was a cool one, cool two two part Borg episode. Yeah, that that was an episode that was very important to build Seven's backstory. Yeah. So as far as her development goes, it, the the character as a whole and building that character that that's an important episode in season five. For yeah, her. yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, another important episode that I think is 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 vital to the success of some of the Voyager crew in in certain away missions and stuff they do is an episode called Extreme Risk. This is where Tom mm. builds the very familiar, very loved Delta Flyer, and uh, which of course is the the name of the podcast for for. Uh, Garrett Wang and and Robbie Duncan McNeil called the Delta Flyers. And so this is where that episode, he builds this, you know, very unique ship that they need for future episodes. And it plays an integral role throughout the rest of the series. So uh, another episode there, it's a fun episode, nice. um, I think. And it, and it kind of harkens back to this idea of, of Tom kind of being an old school, like he was born in the wrong century, right? He should be, yeah. he should have been born in the 20th century working with his hands and wrenches and all that stuff. Uh, but he builds this this incredible Delta flyer, and it serves them wonderfully throughout the rest of the series. Um, definitely a, a big one there. Um, I will say something that I thought was a little bit of a heavy episode mm-hmm. here is an episode called Nothing Human. This is where Balana is attacked by this alien, and it's attached uh, herself attach it to herself and the doctor doesn't know how to remove it without killing Bellana. And so he ends up going into the, I think into the ship's computer and comes across this Cardassian doctor and recreates him on the holodeck and enlists him to help remove the alien from Bellana. Here's the problem. She was a Maquis. The Maquis fought the Cardassians. And even though this how this this Cardassian doctor is a hologram, she wants nothing to do with him. She does not want his help. I think she'd rather die. And this kind of goes into this idea of prejudice, right? Where she has a very severe prejudice against Cardassians. And to a certain extent, you kind of understand why, because she's part of the Maquis. She's fighting against them for her life in certain regards. But at the end of the day, she still has this severe prejudice, and so she's holding this prejudice against this, even though it's a hologram, but against this doctor who has nothing to do with what she was involved with, even though you learn as the episode goes on that he actually had a lot to do. He did a lot of really vile things, but the doctor realizes that this might be their only chance of saving her. And so he em- employs the help of this, of this, the, the knowledge of this doctor through this hologram. 
to help out. So I thought that was a bit of a heavy episode, right? The idea of trying to overcome prejudice uh, against, you know, hold, hold, holding the 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 sins of somebody else against somebody because they may look like that other person. You know, this idea of 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 prejudice, and it's so very real still today. Uh, we still deal with it today. Um, and so I thought that was a very poignant episode that addresses a very real issue in our world today uh, and a very heavy one. Yeah, that was, that was excellent, Zach. Yeah, that was excellent. In that episode, if I recall it correctly, it was, was interesting because you said right, that doctor, the Cardassian doctor, did a lot of really bad things. I believe so, yeah. Doctor, I remember right? correctly, so, yeah. So did probably a lot of um, atrocities as a doctor to kind of learn the information that he learned that that might be able to have helped. Yeah. I think he experimented. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think that was what it was. Yeah. So questionable and really wrong experiments to get information and knowledge to be able to help with Balana's like, like situation. And I think even the doctor was pretty taken aback by some of the things yeah. he learns too. He's like, oh, well, you know, really like, oh. But at the end of the day, he also decides that Bellana's life is more important than holding prejudice over a hologram. And he, this is what I remember, so I might be wrong. So correct correct me and maybe reviewers viewers are wrong. But um, I think the doctor deletes that program of the Cardassian doctor um, at the end of this this episode and and what it, what I recall is interesting too because this this has so many parallels with with real life and what we have done like as a as humans and as a society and um, and through our through our conflicts in our lives and particularly like in world in World War II and a lot of the very very horrible experiments that that doctors did and during during world war ii to to torture to torture people um and hurt them in order to in the name of science in the name of science right Ex exactly yeah. so i thought this is really great that you bring this up because this episode touches on all of that yeah yeah it's a, it, it's a very heavy episode it, yeah. when, when you really look into it with a with a um with a really big lens it's it really dives down into that and it's something that th th this this is where star trek is at its best i think where it's where it really dives into these really really difficult really uncomfortable topics to discuss and so i felt it i felt it important that we mention it because it's it's um you know it's not the most popular episode of voyager i i, I think you could argue that i don't ever hear anybody bring this episode up as one of their favorites but I wouldn't say it's my favorite either, but I think the topic is important in addressing. Yeah, because even and in real life too, right? Because even because what this episode addresses is science, medicine, and ethics, and then yeah. there's there's this intersection of those, and in that intersection, there's if you look think of it as a Venn diagram or an intersection, it there is an absolutely wrong intersection, absolutely yeah. wrong. Yeah. And and then, then there's, you know, there's then there's another part that, you know, can can be helpful and is right. So, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. Back to the back to their episodes. <laughs> Give me yeah. something else that stood out to you in season 5. 
Ah, yes. Let, let me think. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's some two parters in in season five that we've got that that we haven't. Oh well, let's let's talk about. I don't think this was a two parter, but this is what I remember. Um, Counterpoint. So mm, that that one great is great episode. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't a little like, a little uh, tomfoolery and some uh, some some chess playing that goes yeah. metaphorical chess play in this game. Yeah. Love this episode. Love this episode. So this is where. Um, I know that there's a species that doesn't like um, people that are telepaths or other species that are telepaths. And so they, hunt yeah, the divorce, I think the divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're chasing down um, the telepaths and, you know, happens to be that, you know, they're chasing down the Voyager, but wasn't this one where Janeway and the divorce captain are, I got the sense that they were, had romantic interest between between both of them but they were yeah, playing once, playing off each, each other yeah, yeah once once he i mean he's playing her the whole time right yeah but like once he tries to seek asylum aboard voyager and they start getting to know each other yeah there be there's a little bit of there's a, there's a little bit of fireworks that happened there a little bit of chemistry yeah yeah Oops. that was good <laughs> that was good pulling, pulling down my microphone perfect timing <laughs> yeah. what else what else do you have from season five uh, so I like the episode latent image. Mm. This is a great kind of, I think a whodunit, uh, episode where the doctor, the doctor, um, realizes that somebody's monkeyed with his short-term memory mm -hmm. and he doesn't know why. And so it, it goes back to the idea that, uh, there was, there was an alien race that attacked a couple of people that were, that were killed on this away mission that he was on a couple of young officers and all a lot of the stuff was a race. They're trying to get rid of the 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 evidence oh, and all yeah. this. It's it's a whodunit. I, I I'm a sucker for whodunit episodes. Yeah. Love them. I, I've always loved the whodunit episodes, whodunit movies. There's a there's a game that people play. I played it back in high school, and people do it as part of like a dinner party called uh, How to Host a Murder. I think is what it's called. Oh. And like there's different. There's every one is a different a different uh, uh, mystery to solve. And people come over for dinner, and some people. As a group, they'll dress up like that that era, like 1930s <laughs> Chicago or something like that, and then they have their dinner and they all sit around trying to figure out who did it. Yeah. So and there's the movie Clue and the game. I mean, I I love whodunit stuff. So this is kind of a whodunit type of episode that I I really enjoyed. Um, we do also get Bride of nice. Chaotica. Oh yes, the classic Captain Proton episode. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Um, did you like? Now, when the first time I watched through Voyager, I was meh, so-so about this. Mm -hmm. uh, but did you like the episode Someone to Watch Over Me? This is where the doctor starts to mentor and give dating tips to Seven of Nine. I, I, I'm I trying to recall that one. I did. I yeah. think I did like that that one. You know what's ironic? And I and wasn't that, a fan at first. Wasn't, wasn't but a fan at first. Yeah. I, 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 I'm more of a fan now just because you see how far Seven – comes in a short period of time from being in the collective to now in season five, as well as where she goes all the way into season in, into Star Trek Picard. Is this the one where, where the doctor also becomes enamored with seven? Yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. You know, what's, what's interesting about this one is that you have, you have the hologram giving advice to the Borg or the, the, the new human, former Borg, yeah, former Borg, yeah. on how to be human. Right. So, 
the blind leading the blind right. right here, dude. I'm telling yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like just, yeah. Yeah. So I think that, that was great. And then in the process, then yeah, then he becomes enamored. And, and then, well, the whole thing's funny, right? Because yeah. he's a holographic doctor that, that is literally supposed to be for emergency medical purposes. And this guy who has no dating experience is trying to give yeah. advice to a former Borg who has been assimilated since she was a child on how to date. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a very, it's very comical. Uh, but it's also important <laughs> too. This episode is actually really important moving forward for the development of seven, for the development of the doctor, for the role that seven will play in Star Trek Picard. I mean, this is actually now that Picard's over mm -hmm. this, I find this episode significantly more important than I did before Star Trek Picard. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So becomes important. Oh. Go ahead. I was just I had this random thought. I wonder if I wonder if they have emergency medical holograms on on the new ships that are in, that are in Picard. I wonder if we'll find that that out. They could. You, they could. The question is: is do the emergency medical holograms on the new ships suffer from male pattern baldness <laughs> as well? <laughs> sorry, I had to. Oh. I had to. I'm sorry. Oh. I know. I know. You're all rolling your eyes and turning off this podcast now. But yeah, I thought. Anyways. So okay, Chris. We also get um, the the another two parter. Mm -hmm. Voyager loves its two parters, and I yeah. think that's one of the great things about Voyager because most of the two parters are really good. So we get another two parter. Uh, I believe this is uh, part one is the season finale. I think of season five, and it's Equinox Part One, where Voyager discovers another Federation ship that's been abducted by the caretaker, and they run into it. But the difference, though, with the Equinox is. The captain and her crew don't exactly care about anything Starfleet protocol related. They're out there to survive. I mean, yeah. they're they're doing things that Janeway's going, uh, no. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I oh, this one is in the very back of my mem memory, but I vague vague re recall that. They do some shady things, don't they? Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're talking like I want to say they 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 take prisoners. Yeah. Uh they they do some really shady stuff, but but the captain's like, look, we're out here on our own. There's nobody here to help us. We gotta do what we gotta do to survive. And you contrast that. I'm gonna use your word, I'm gonna juxtapose suppose, yeah. <laughs> against what how Janeway was when she was first out there. And it's vastly different view. And I also look at it too like this. Okay. So both Voyager and the Equinox, now that we've met the Equinox, are stranded in the Delta Quadrant, long way from home. In this particular case, you have to think to yourself, if you're in the shoes of the, ca of the captains, whether it's in Void, the shoes of Janeway or the shoes of this other captain, what would you do? I mean, do you want to survive and get home? Do you, do you feel as though you need to do whatever it takes to get home? Or are you more like Janeway where, hey, we have values, we have protocols. What happens if you get home and you've done some really shady stuff? That you know you never would have done had you not been in that situation. Are you able to go home and sleep okay at night? It goes back to that inter monologue, that that idea of those internal values. And if you make the decision that you make, can you live with it? If it's a decision where there is no right or wrong, supposedly, maybe there maybe there isn't, and it's a matter of perspective, can you live with it? Can you go to bed that night, put your head on that pillow, and, and be able to sleep okay? That's kind of how I think of it in this regard. 
clearly this captain's like, no, nah, we're doing whatever we got to do to survive and get home. What's most important is that we live and we survive. Uh, Jane Wei doesn't exactly see it that way. She she's becoming more flexible right now than she was at the very beginning when they first went in the Delta Quadrant, but she don't see it the same way as her captain does. Not at all. Yeah, that is. You said it perfect, Zach. That that is interesting because I I think what when when you say that and we think about like who we are as individuals and the values that each individual has and the and the values each uh, leader may have like as an individual, right? Then then um, depending on the circumstance that 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 you're in um if you have if you're a if you've evolved to a certain part like a point like um emotionally and mentally to saying hey this is this is who i am as a human being we are a human being no matter where we are in the galaxy right we're right we're going to be a human in the delta quadrant human in the alpha quadrant human on earth human on mars what does that mean to be a human to aspire to have certain 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 you know do do we have certain values and do we hold to those certain values regardless of the location that that we were we are at you know i was just thinking about it in my mind like this okay you're you're a starfleet officer right you have a certain set of principles and values each starfleet officer slightly different but the the common theme there is some is the starfleet values and principles right you know picard obviously is the most probably the the most drawn to those. He, he's the one that I, I feel like uh, embodies those the most on average, right? He's the so Jinzu. Have, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have these certain intervalue, uh, these values, certain principles, core values inside of you that you believe. Are those determined by light years in this case, right? 70,000 light years, does that all of a sudden change your core values and principles? just because you're 70,000 light years from home or do those values and principles go with you no matter where you go? That's the question. Now this captain, I had to look it up the names. I forgot it is Rudolph ransom. So captain ransom is the name <laughs> captain of the U S equinox. It, it definitely seems that, uh, that, um, he, he has the, he maybe had those values, but he's more worried about getting home. And it's very interesting because, you know, the, uh, the class ship that the that the Equinox is is Nova class. It's the same ship that uh, the USS O'Brien is in our Star Trek adventure. Yeah, that's right. It is. A it is. Nova it's is, a, a, it is a really cool ship, but it's a short range interplanetary type exploratory vessel. Uh, it's not meant to be out on its own like this. Seventy thousand miles, seventy thousand miles, seventy thousand light years from home. Yeah. Uh, not interplanetary, sorry, short-range planetary research vessel, not interplanetary. That'd make it sub-light speed, sub-warp speed. Um, so th- there's a lot of things here that Captain Ransom's dealing with. It's like, okay, do I hold on to these values or do I kind of abandon them for the sake of, of survival? And it just kind of goes back to this is a common theme in Voyager, right? The idea of holding on to values and principles or abandoning them for for the purposes of survival. This is this is interwoven throughout the entire series, I think. Um, but okay, let, let's yeah. let's some real overall thoughts of seasons three through five uh, as we wrap this up and and prepare for season six and seven of Star Trek Voyager on our next episode of the Random Richard Podcast as we as we finish out 
season four <laughs> of the podcast and prepare for an absolutely jam-packed season five. Okay, Chris, overall thoughts of where Voyager's at as we've gone through season th- three through five. I really feel like season three, three through five, that we're in this really prime spot in Voyager. We've got this wonderful introduction of Seven as a character and Seven as a counterpart to Janeway, but we've also ex- exploring these really kind of traumatic things that are happening. We talked about the Year of Hell episode. Uh, we talked about Dark Frontiers episode and um, the episode where they're going through the void. So these really, really kind of traumatic things. And we kind of see these these different um, parts of Janeway where Janeway is under extreme stress and you see her react in the different ways. So I thought it was great. Um, these are some of my favorite favorite seasons and favorite uh, episodes of Voyagers. And I love that they, Voyager, are not afraid to do these two-parters, you know, and, and do And a lot many, of them are really good. Yeah. Yeah. You could do a bunch of two-parters and they may not be that great, but the, most of the two-parters in this series are so good. Yeah. 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 Ab- absolutely. I love, and I love that they bring in um, Species 8472 because it's so cool. I wish actually we had, we had more of them, but um, that was such a great thing that they brought in, you know, really original um, dilemmas and really original um, species that they have in. And I thought these were, were great, great seasons. Really love the season three, three through five instrumental to the, the season of Voyager. Um, yeah. I'll probably go watch some more episodes of Voyager after, after we talk, probably watch some Why more not? tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. How about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't like, the way that they removed Kess mm. from the series. I wasn't yeah. a fan of that. I liked Kess. I think a lot of people like Kess. Yeah. I think she brought a lot to the show. Uh, re- really enjoyed her. I thought Jennifer Leon was was really great as, as Kess. Um, bringing in Seven changed the entire show in many ways. It brought the Borg to the forefront in this series. It brought us Species 8472. Yeah. It brought us integrated Borg tech to upgrade the star the, the the Voyager ship, which I don't think had ever been done in another Star Trek series where they had Borg tech literally all over the ship in order to, you know, reinforce it and better defend it, give it better weapons and stuff, to make it home. Had they not had that, they may not have made it home. Who knows, right? Um, well, I mean, they would have because that would have been the show, but you know what I mean, if it actually were a thing. Uh, the Doctor's development, um, Seven's development, uh, there were significant character developments in this in this show that were instrumental in the success of the crew moving forward. I think some of the best episodes of, of Voyager were in seasons three through five. Absolutely. So many good two-parters and so many good standalone episodes that were just fantastic. Uh, I, you, you can also see season three through five, the characters are settling into their roles. Mm-hmm. On the ship, friendships are developing between Harry and Tom, between Seven and the Doctor. Uh, Neelix and Paris have kind of, you know, they've amended things yeah. now that Neelix realizes that Paris isn't wasn't chasing after Kess. Um, Kess and Neelix having to to say goodbye was hard. You know, that 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 relationship ending where where Kess leaves the ship and Neelix has to let her go because of this stupid like oh higher plane because she goes from being kind of telepathic to all of a sudden being a super powerful person um that was that was a difficult moment there as as those two have to have to part ways like that um 
uh, th- there's so many good, you know, the 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 relationship that Chakotay and Janeway continue to develop as he as she continues to rely on him and trust in his guidance and his his words and his um his uh viewpoints and stuff that he's providing to her you know that that piece that counterpoint like I love how you said that Chris yeah. that Seven's the counterpoint to Janeway right that she's constantly challenging Janeway sometimes disrespectfully sometimes but she's not a Starfleet officer right she's a former board drone. But she's, I think she's challenging Janeway also to help think differently, to look at things differently, to not always, you know, use the book or not always necessarily play it safe, but but do things that might be uncomfortable for Janeway. So I think that's great. And then finally, uh, it, it, season three through five is filled with more and more failed attempts to get home and many more false hopes. <laughs> as they continue on because they had seven seasons. So they had to stretch it out and they couldn't get home in two seasons or they wouldn't it'd be over. Um, but yeah, season three through five was fantastic. Season six and seven are really good too. Um, well, season six is really good. Season seven had a few good episodes, but o- overall we'll get into that the next episode, but yeah. yeah, that's it. So, so we're done with, with our, our part two look at star Trek Voyager. We thank you guys so much for watching and listening all over the interwebs. As you have to say, Chris, that's right. <laughs> all over, uh, all over the globe, the 30 plus countries that tune into us. We thank you so much for that. Uh, we will be back with another episode of the Random Redshirt podcast soon as we wrap up Star Trek Voyager and look at the last couple seasons as a whole. Give us our final thoughts. Maybe we should rate Voyager as a series from one to five com badges. Yeah, maybe we that- should. Because that could be real interesting, right? It's not, it's, it's not necessarily a five out of five. It's not necessarily a four out of five. But it may not be a three or a three and a half. Who knows? I got to think about what I would rate it. Yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. T- I think so too. I have an idea, but I'm gonna have to put some some for real thought into it because yeah. there's a lot of things about Voyager I like. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, uh, yeah, this has been great as always, Chris. We're kind of getting back to our grassroots That's right. <laughs> podcast here as we 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 go through this. Uh, but we we are really excited not only to to wrap up Voyager and wrap up the fourth season of the random retro podcast, but also to bring you guys some more absolutely incredible content. We have some unbelievable guests that we're working on finalizing and lining up for you coming soon. We cannot wait to share that with you as soon as we can announce it. And uh, season five, we're going to look at Star Trek enterprise. We're going to be doing Star Trek, strange new worlds and episode by episode review. Uh, We're going to have some amazing guests. It's season five is going to be, packed to the brim chris it's going to be awesome it is it's going to be incredible we're really 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 looking forward to that um as well as our our strange new worlds that is going to be really exciting so that's going to be awesome yeah. i cannot wait i loved the first season season two from the trailer looked phenomenal as well and uh, we look forward to bringing that to you <laughs> very soon here on the podcast so again Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to hit the like and subscribe button or the bell for notifications if you're on YouTube or the follow button or whatever the button is on your podcast platform to be alerted for all the latest great content. You can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook where you can get all the latest uh, uh, postings from us. We like to post pictures, uh, funny memes sometimes, announcements for episodes. So as soon as you get that announcement uh, on on one of those um, social media platforms, you'll know the episode's out and you can go check it out. Uh, And we also like to post uh, other great announcements as well. So with that being said, this is it, Chris. One more episode, and we're on to season five of the podcast. Awesome.
It's going to be a great journey. Looking forward to it. Thank you, everybody. Yep. Thank you. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Random Red Shirt Podcast.